Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 56. This is our Neverending Glory podcast Super Bowl recap. We have to go into a very serious thing to start here. Our dear, dear co-host and friend, Luke Grilly, one, one for the thumb. Luke, congratulations. Um, I, I don't even know how to begin to describe what this comeback was like. Um, let's, let's, let's get right into it. I mean, tell us a little bit about... The, the emotions you went through in, in that halftime. Like, start us at halftime. Where were you at? We're going to kind of Quentin Tarantino this thing. Take us <laughs> take us to the end, back to the beginning, all the way through. You know, flip it. Yeah, I, well, I think that, you know, and, and we apologize to all of our fans, especially those in Serbia, that we had to delay this podcast. But I think the other the utter sheer joy that I was going through, and, you know, I've been on cloud nine for about two weeks now. I think the last thing that, you know, Jerry, you and Sean wanted to hear was me just gloating about the Patriots winning their fifth Super Bowl um, in the Brady Belichick era. Um, so I did. I think it was good for us to kind of take a step back and just let us decompress a little bit because it was a very. Um, um, my liver was pickled. My brain was pickled. Right. Um, I the the little hair that I have left is there are far more grays. Um, it was it was. It was not a fun experience for the first, you know, 30 minutes <laughs> of the game, to be perfectly honest. Well, I'm glad you uh, said that we took the time because I'm pretty sure if we had done this on Monday or Tuesday, it would have been just 60 minutes of screaming while Sean oh, and I, who's yeah. on the pod, by the way, Sean's here with yes. us. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm listening to Luke Waber on about his 19th championship in three years. <laughs> yeah. But to, 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 to answer your question about halftime, again, you know, I, I was – the, the first half led me to drink. No, no question. If you're a Patriots fan, that first half is not how you expected it to go. The pick six uh, that Brady threw felt like it was the nail in the coffin on the Patriots title for the fifth, the fifth ring. But I, my, my brain was so pickled that I, I really didn't comprehend how bad we were getting beat. And even into, you know, the third quarter when I think there's about three minutes left and finally the Patriots, it was 28 to three, then they scored the touchdown, but then they missed the extra point. So it was 28 to nine. I, I still, I, you know, the scene from Alan in the hangover where he's just like, he's at the roulette table or the blackjack table. And he just sees the numbers in front of him. As oh he's my counting God. Cards. I was kind of <laughs> go, going through that saying, how can the Patriots come back and win this? Because I, I, I was so naive to the fact that the the comeback that they would have to do in order to get this title it was so it, it was such a a hard thing to do i mean espn gave them a 0.3% i'm sorry 0.3% chance of coming back to win that game when they were down 25 so it was it was stressful i mean you know but then once james white started to score the touchdowns uh, i think he had the he had the first touchdown um I believe I can't think off the top of my head, but once they started to get that comeback and the two point conversions were huge, you know, very rarely does a team actually hit a two point conversion, but the Patriots need to hit two, two point conversions. Right. And they went old school. They did the direct snap to James white, which was uh, a move that Kevin Falk made famous back in the early two thousands. And they hit it that way. And uh, then the second two-point conversion was to Danny Amendola, which could have been, you know, definitely could have been uh, an illegal pick. Uh, but it was, it was pretty close. Behind the line. It was, it was, it was pretty close. Um, but just the fact that everything had to go right from three minutes on in the third quarter to the end of the game, 
it, it just it did go right for the Patriots. The Patriots' offense was clicking. They were getting open. They were getting calls. Atlanta couldn't do anything. They were making stupid coaching decisions. Uh, you know, why don't you just run the ball when you have the lead and you're in the Patriots, the Patriots side of the field? You kick a field goal, put them down 11 with about four minutes left, and the game is. I'm not going to say it's over, but it's it's almost pretty it's pretty much over. Yeah, it's pretty um, much over at that point. Dan Quinn blew it, and you know the Patriots capitalized. It's crime it of was the season. Just, crime, crime of the century is not running the ball and, and taking that sack to put him out of field goal range. That's that, that was inexcusable. So, so the, uh, what I'm glad is that Luke A is utilizing the word pickle um, <laughs> because everybody that that is listening to this knows that I am just itching to dog him the whole rest of the podcast. <laughs> so I will be incorporating that quite a bit. Secondly, it's not the scene of Alan from Hangover. That's based on Rain Man and Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I, I get that. But that, third, that's, it's thirdly, not as funny as the Hangover. Thir- thirdly, after the game, Luke's gloating and having all these kind of interesting New England takes. And then after, I think, like 24 hours or 48 hours, after he rewatched it, we started getting the text like, Wow, the Falcons really blew this. And oh, if, yeah. as someone that was totally impartial, I didn't have as much of an invested stock in Atlanta. But if I'm an Atlanta fan, like that's a Cleveland-ass type moment there. How they went about the second half at points in time. I mean, it was just utterly baffling in some circumstances. They didn't get Julio the ball. They ran so few plays. But they got, I think, would they average like seven yards a play or something? I mean, some oh, insane statistics. Sean, to lose under that, and pair is, that, is pair just that with like time unfathom. of possession, and it's almost three to one at some point. It's like two point something to one in favor of New England. Pair that with the uh, the no, the disparity in plays. I think what Atlanta ran for like forty six offensive plays, somewhere in the forties. The it's, Patriots ninety something. Yeah, yeah forty five. Un- I believe that was forty five play. They got doubled up. That I mean. You can't win games that way. And everyone says, well, it's not about time of possession. It's all about points and stuff like that. There's that train of thought. But when you're in a championship game, you can't. You have to have a little bit of time management. It's, right. it's it, like I said, crime of the century by Dan Quinn and that staff. Well, Sean, and we kind of went at each other at the end of the game. Uh, and I, I gloated how the Patriots shut down Julio Jones to four catches for 87 yards. And you came back at me and said, well, they didn't even run enough plays. At that point, I was so far gone you had no clue how many plays, how, <laughs> no how clue. few plays they ran. Sean, and then I, as, that's what I said. It was like yeah. you, it, you needed to come to your senses to realize how totally odd of a game that was. And it's not like Atlanta, if they're trying to force Julio the ball in the third and fourth quarter, people are probably just as confused as they are with what they ended up doing. It, just truly bizarre, some of the decisions that they made. And, and if Matt Ryan doesn't drop back and fumble, and instead they just right. punt, and make you guys go 80, mm-hmm. or if they just run the ball with 429 or whatever the hell it was left on first and 10 from the 21-yard line, or just take knees, <laughs> and they kick a 38-39 yarder, which, by the way, Matt Bryan is literally aut- automatic historically. That That's why all the, the statistics and win probabilities were the way that they are. They they literally had to screw up to go backwards and, right. and give – the Patriots, the ball back with the chance, and then Brady was just kind of Brady. Sean, I literally had to go back the next day and read the drive log and the play-by-play to remember how everything happened, the way it happened. And again, not because I was consuming 
beverages. You're drunk. You're drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You were, yeah, 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 yeah. But you, that's you were, not why. You were doing a lot of pickles. Like, <laughs> like literally, I just think so much happened in such a quick amount of time that it was really tough to comprehend because the roller coasters were very high, then they were very low. I mean, remember the Patriots made a critical fourth down conversion even during that that time where they they made the epic comeback in the fourth quarter. Brady took a, f- a couple huge sacks and had to make some major plays on there. I think it was fourth down to Hogan. Uh, I was like fourth and 10 that, that they had to convert. So it was just literally, you know, blood pressure went up for a solid five minutes and he could relax a little bit. And then the blood pressure went up again when they scored a touchdown and then he could relax a little bit. There, there was a lot of sensory things going on. And if you had any sort of sensory issues then you definitely were struggling to watch this game because it was just, I mean, up and down. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. And and we haven't even talked about the Julian Edelman catch that I think finally erases the bullshit David Tyree catch. You know, every time they show the David Tyree catch, also well, look at the, the the sorcery that Julian Edelman did uh, against the Falcons in Super Bowl Fifty One. Um, just yeah. just an amazing game by this team, and it's 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 so awesome being a Patriots fan. It's just the best. It's the best. It's the best. God, you're so. <laughs> Let's get into some real talk. Let's talk about the real Super Bowl, Ugh. the Browns. We got right a, now. Bef- before we the before we do, Browns we got are on the clock. They are, but we got to take care of a little business here, guys. If you are uh, just joining us for the first time, you can find us on Twitter at Glory Podcast, Facebook Never Any Glory Podcast. We're posting a lot of stuff, a lot of content. Going to doing a lot of mock draft stuff. Check that out. Uh, email us if you got some takes on our on our. Start of our draft season stuff. It's negpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. A lot of subscribers. Check the stats the other day. Subscribers have been up continually Check all NFL season. Check the stats uh, big time. Um, Got some loyal Twitter followers. I know we get a chance. We try and reply back to anybody. Keep sure. the banter going throughout the year and at any point in time. So. Hit us up with uh, mock draft takes as well coming up. And don't forget, uh, check out some of our companion um, podcasts, the NEG MLB show. You know, pitchers and, re- and catchers just reported. Um, you know, there's and I'm sure there's going to be some serious talk about St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, thoughts and prayers go out to uh, Alex Reyes. Is that was the guy's name? Thoughts and prayers. You guys going to jail? Stop talking baseball. <laughs> Alex Reyes had an elbow surgery. You could have went thoughts and prayers with your Giordano Ventura, who died a month ago. Hey, like, there's so many angles you could have went with it, and your thoughts and prayers for somebody literally, Tommy John. Literally, Come I on. read one baseball news bit for the first time ever. I clicked on a news story about a baseball player. And you need player. to follow the NEG uh, Major League pod. That's I- that. Or Twitter handle. That's I'd your rather, problem. You're probably not even following it. I'd rather watch beheading videos and listen to you guys. Just follow it. <laughs> and trust me, don't get it. Don't get it twisted. I watched Rajay Davis home run at least nine times today. <laughs> You're back into it already. Well, oh, I'm back, baby. Hey, what Boston's on that Chris Sale game? So you better watch out. We rock Sale. I ain't worried about that. Hey, let, well, haired okay. Pants. Enough with baseball. Let's get to the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's get, get to it. where we make our money. And we make our money in the NFL offseason with our uh, hot sports takes, not only in fantasy football, getting you ready for the 2017 fantasy season. But before that, we have the NFL draft coming up in May. So uh, the combine's about to get started here. The NFL just invited over 300 collegiate athletes to the combine. And um, Sean and Mark, they will be breaking down the combine here in the next few weeks. Uh, But until then, we are taking a look at our mock drafts. And tonight, 
We are going to break down Sean's top 10. If you guys haven't noticed, and as Burris alluded to, check out our Twitter at Glory Podcast, where every time Sean releases a new mock draft, we do uh, we send it out, and then we get some banter back and forth. And uh, we're going to break down that top 10 right now. And this is very fluid. Things change. Uh, you know, we, we heard today that Mario Williams was, was released from the, the Dolphins. So that could cause some teams Revis to getting arrested. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brandon and Albert. Vince the, Young is back, baby. Back, <laughs> the point is back. You better believe it. Yeah. So a lot going on. So this is very fluid. But we'll keep you guys abreast of everything that's going on. Strong. But the first one, guys. Is your Cleveland Browns, they're ready for their Super Bowl. Are they going to trade back, or are they going to take Miles Garrett defensive end out of Texas A&M? So, Sean, I think this is this is probably the only pick that's locked and loaded. We know who's going one as long as the Browns stay there, and there's been no rumors that they're trading back this year. So is Miles Garrett definitely the sure thing that he's coming to Cleveland? 100% locked and loaded. The Browns are in the best spot possible. Any other spot they could be in, we would be susceptible to a lot of quarterback talk, a lot of quarterback potential reach. The Browns take defensive end Miles Garrett out of Texas A&M with the number one pick. We lock in our Vaughn Miller, and then we start to build through the rest of the pieces and the rest of the draft picks that we've got. Yeah, the Browns have five picks in the first 65 picks uh, this draft, thanks to that trade they made with Philadelphia last year. So uh, they will have the 12th pick as well, and we'll talk about that next week. But I I like this pick here, and, you know, last week we saw all the bullshit that came out about uh, how Miles Garrett months ago told Jerry Jones that he wanted to uh, have the Cowboys move up and take him. But, you know, that got overblown by the national media like usual. Oh, it, but, trust me, it got way overblown yes, by the did. Northeast Ohio local media. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the best part is even after it was refuted and stated chronologically how it was an error, our news guys, our radio guys, God bless them, like textbook, <laughs> they still ran with it as if nothing happened. We are living in a true alter- alternative facts world in this day and age. <laughs> Sad. It's sad. Yeah. So and thank God we're the truth seekers. We are the oath keepers. That's well, where we are. Brienne of Tarth sword. <laughs> I immediately <laughs> tweeted out that, hey, the national media is going to flip out about this. And, and, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, you know, we kept we kept our head on a swivel here watching the national media freak out. But we we stayed uh, constant with our thoughts that uh, I think to the instant that he gets a, a check signed by uh, Jimmy, that he's going to be very happy to be a Cleveland Brown. Um, but you mentioned, Sean, with the second pick that teams could start getting in that, you know, rumors that they're going to take a quarterback. And you have Deshaun Watson going to the 49ers. So quarterback from Clemson won the national championship against Alabama this year, had a great season. Do you think Deshaun Watson's the real deal, or is this just you know his value just through the roof right now after everything that went down in the national championship? So I want to preface the mock draft, and a lot of this, the, some of these picks have already changed. You'll see actually tomorrow we'll we'll be posting two seventeen, or you may by the time this podcast hits, it'll be today. Um, I think Watson's going to be able to win in the room and with enough of the film. And I think there's going to be a narrative of, oh, he threw interceptions, but Jameis Winston threw a a lot. He's got similar type leadership of Jameis Winston, or so Dabo likes to say. I think they're two totally different players. Um, I don't like Watson, but I think he's going to go too when you factor that San Francisco is going to target a quarterback and – 
I just it makes too much sense unless they go out and get Garoppolo. And I I think the two pick to the Pats might be a little too rich. So I, I think Watson is the one. He's probably the safest. Kaiser has the most upside. Trubisky to me is is kind of the most conservative pick of it all, um, just because he's probably Kirk Cousins or something. But I know Jerry, you know, you, you're probably a little bit heavier on or stronger towards Trubisky from an arm strength, yeah, arm I, strength perspective. I will say Trubisky's arm strength of the the top three, I think, in my opinion, is, is the the best. Watching the throws he's made in college, some of these comeback routes from the opposite hash, you know, throwing across the field, and it's on a a rope right in the guy's face, man. They're impressive. I I agree that Deshaun Watson is probably your number two draft pick, especially if he has Dabo Sweeney. He's the second coming of Christ. Um, <laughs> so I, I think the 49ers go quarterback and they go Watson here. I think Trubisky falls, but not too far. Well, so what will be interesting, and, and Kyle Shanahan obviously took over the head coaching role at San Francisco after they got their asses beat by the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Um, oh, my God. That's <laughs> one. The, the rumor, That's the first the rumor, one. The rumor was uh, that Matt Schaub could follow him to San Francisco as kind of a bridge quarterback. Come because he on. Knows, he knows, <laughs> listen, I'm not I'm – not, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. That shop. You, uh, you and Jerry love to do this. You guys take these rumors that no one gives a shit about. Like no one cares about Matt Shop. No one. Zero. He's got no juice in the words of Chris Russo. We we don't need to talk about Matt Shop. What I'm saying. I don't, is I don't need juice. Back is getting drafted here. I need to talk about Matt Shop. takes. So what I'm saying though is is that if Deshaun Watson is raw, he can potentially sit behind Matt Schaub for a couple couple weeks until you know until midseason until he figures out because everything I've heard from Kyle Shanahan's offense is it's a very tough offense to digest. His his plays his play calls of like six or seven words and it and it's it's got a ton of reads. And everything I read is that if you have experience in Kyle Shanahan's offense, it makes it much easier. So uh, to make I, I, have to, I, I, I have to completely RG3. hold, on, let, hold let, on. Let's not get it twisted. Let's, Kyle, Han- Kyle Shanahan designed a ro- offense for RG three his rookie year. It can't be that complicated. And and don't let it don't let it be overstated. His offense was also for the Browns when we had arguably one of the worst offenses in the NFL with none other than Cleveland's own. I like Kyle Shanahan's um, play caller, though. I, I'm saying that, but I, I understand the point why you're making. Why is his name making, escaping me? Quarterback from – I don't uh, know. Hoyer. 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 He, Hoyer was successful with his play calls. Don't say he has some like terribly off, uh, complex offense. It's outside zone right, outside zone left with a little bootleg action. That's about it. Hoyer's a student of the world champion New England Patriots, so don't forget that. <laughs> Blatant homerism point two. <laughs> you and your pickle. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, all I'm saying is that if if he's raw, there is an option for him to not maybe be a starter. Saying raw, raw, raw pickle. All right, raw moving pickle. on to the third. How do you pick. pronounce raw in Boston? Is it raw or is it raw? No, it's like raw. saw. Like they can't say saw. It's saw. 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 No, you're just making stuff up now, Jer. Wow, but that's fine. Moving let, on, let the, real, let the adult talk. <laughs> the third pick, the Bears. The Derek last Barnett that's out is Derek Barnett. Derek Barnett is not probably going to go here. I still think I see Derek Barnett as a top ten pick. That's that's me. I think here bumps back up to Jonathan Allen, with a slight chance that Solomon Thomas is in play here as well. Ooh, so. So Derek Barnett, defensive end, defensive tackle from Tennessee. 
And you're saying Jonathan Allen could move up. He's defensive tackle out of Alabama. So I look so. at it, those three players are, if, if you look at Chicago's needs and the value here, it makes the most sense. You think, so Sol- if you Barnett, think, player. You think Solomon Thomas can jump Jonathan Allen? To get to Sol- three. Solomon Thomas is going to put together a combine that oh. is going to be ridiculous. It's going to be legendary. You couple that with the the tape, the tape, and what he did against North Carolina, where he treated he Joey Bosa, North Carolina in the bowl game. Like it was he impressive. just what Bosa did throughout his career, and he, there's a lot of similarities between those two. I actually think. Derek Barnett's got some Joey Bosa as well. I think that's going to become like a scout narrative of there's more similarities between how those two compete, similar to Bosa. And if you remember leading up to the draft, Bosa was the one that folks were kind of saying, oh, can he go follow all the way out to, you know, 10 or 12? And now you look at it and, you know, he's probably should have been, you know, he's justified where he was taken, if not, you know, his overall production being some of the best in the league. Uh, okay. So you're saying that if, you know, the next two picks, Bears at three, Jaguars at four, a trio of those, of uh, two of those three guys could go three, four because of the team need in uh, in Chicago and Jacksonville. Yeah, I, I would be shocked. I think j- the Jaguars have to start to give c- some consideration a little bit to, to maybe um, an offensive lineman, but there's none, there's none that are standing out in the top ten. Uh, Fournette could be an option with Jacksonville. Cook could be an option with Jacksonville. I just think, to me, it's a no-brainer. You take one or the other uh, that the Bears didn't take in that little threesome. I'm going to say, let's say three, Allen, four, Solomon Thomas. Solomon Thomas, DN from Stanford. Okay, so moving on to five. The, before you jump, I'm ball. sorry, before you jump down to five, my one thing sure. I think Trubisky could fall to is the Bears. I don't think they're set at the quarterback spot. Um, and I think he's the most, I'd say, likely candidate to fall there. I don't, I don't see them taking Thomas. Um, I think they they take Trubisky over Kaiser. I think he could be drafted as high as three. Do you have any thoughts on him going to the Bears at three? Oh, I think any the quarterbacks could be in play. But uh, again, I look at it. If you're in the top ten, you're forcing your to talk yourself into taking a quarterback versus taking the best available. If we were looking at the top 20 players just by sheer talent and everything else, the quarterbacks are either at the back end of the teens or right at the onset of the, of the 20s. I agree with that. For all three of those guys at earliest. There's just so much quality Pro Bowl-type talent above them, but these teams, the four and five of these teams, are going to be jumping that. If you look at a team like Houston, you look at Arizona, they're actually in perfect spots to target a quarterback if teams actually draft according to best available because that means they could actually get you know the first or second-ranked quarterback in the draft if things fall according to best available talent. It probably won't because quarterbacks you know, keep you know, turn the dial. But and the Texans don't really need a quarterback. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll talk right. about yeah. that later. Yeah. The, the one thing, Sean, and to your point here, is I always get nervous when I see quarterbacks like this because it reminds me of the 2011 draft. Number one overall is Cam Newton, but then eighth overall, Jake Locker, 10th uh, overall, Blaine Gabbert, 12th overall, Christian Ponder. It was just such a 
teams reached on their quarterbacks early on. And I like your point where, you know, in the mid to late 20s, that's where you can gamble on a quarterback because it's really not going to hamstring you uh, taking a guy like this. You know, for example, the Titans took Jake Locke over Tyron Smith and J.J. Watt, Robert Quinn. I mean, they, they huge swings and misses there, hoping that they're going to, going to get a, a quarterback who was slightly above average in college. They were um, hoping they were getting – every team drafting their hopes they get Joe Flacco. Right, like that—that—that's le- legitimately the hope. Is they're trying to get Joe Flacco, and they're trying to get him four or five picks before the Ravens did. I think they got him at like eighteen or nineteen or something like that, in the years back. Yeah. So moving back to this draft, uh, again, the other side of the ball, probably the next two picks, possibly the next three picks, we could see a skill player that could be uh, very intriguing in your fantasy football drafts. But the first one here, Sean, at five, you have the Titans taking wide receiver from Clemson, Mike Williams. Is he your clear-cut number one wide receiver in this class? It, he's not clear-cut. He's He is my number one ahead of Corey Davis. The Titans are in the trickiest probably to pick because – they're actually kind of a flip spot. They could go safety corner here, and then when they come back, I think it what are they at eighteen or so or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Then they just go receiver there, and then could take Davis. The problem is, is if you look at the DBs in the draft, safeties included in that. There's ten first round prospects. Wide receivers, to me, there's two. So mm-hmm. I'd rather be. It's like fantasy football drafting, Luke. You know this. I'd rather be at the front end of a short crop right. than at the back end of a long, similar type talent crop. That's how I would view it. I've I've been partial to Mike Williams since the season started. As long as he checks out medically, he had the neck issue last season, so he couldn't play on on the title team or the the champ uh, finalist team that lost to Bama. Then he came back. He was head and shoulders their best receiver, and they've got a good one in Deion Kane and Artavius Scott who will go in this draft. Mike Williams, to me, is the clear cut and is the is the clear number one. It's not open and shut, but it's pretty damn close in my eyes. I think Mike Williams is going to run real, really well in, in Indy as well. And that's, that's a position of need definitely for the Titans. I, I loved this year uh, Rashard Matthews, who at the end of the season – caught touchdown after touchdown. Um, but the losing Kendall Wright, who was just pretty much an afterthought this year. Uh, Tajay Sharp, after having a good preseason, really wasn't consistent. Delaney Walker, the tight end, is getting old. So they need to get that true number one wide receiver for Marcus Mariota to throw to. So I do like this pick by you, Sean, and it'll be interesting to see if they uh, you know, do do follow that lead because every mock I'm seeing is is Mike Williams going five to, to uh, the Titans. Now, see, everyone I'm seeing is, is DB, and then them at 18 i believe going the second wide receiver or yeah. tight end um right. which, which is another viable option so i do think in one of those two picks in the first round they have to get an offensive weapon because you don't draft Mariota, you don't draft quarterbacks like many of these teams have these franchise quarterbacks and not pair them up with somebody right. and we'll talk to the, the tampa bay bucks that's another team that has to add either a wide receiver or tight end in the first round. It it's just imperative that you give weapons to your your big time quarterback. Jerry, which way do you see Titans going here? Do you, do you think uh, Mike Williams is the way they go, or are they going to go defensive back? Uh, I think they go offense, and I Mike Williams is my number one wide receiver um, for draft board. If 
if they don't go offense, they have to go with the absolute elite DB here. Um, you either have to go with the safety, Jamal Adams or Hooker um, from OSU. Uh, but even then, I still think you should go offense. They need somebody that's explosive on the outside. So at pick six, the Jets are on the clock. And, Sean, you have the this, first running back off the board, Leonard Fournette. This, this to me, is a no-brainer. Not because I think it's the right pick, but because it's the Jets. The Jets. This it is a Jets reeks pick. Of, of the of a Jets type pick. It's a New York type pick. It it you know, they're all cheering and happy and they don't realize that of all of their team needs, this is you know, it's maybe not dead last, but it's it's fairly close behind. Uh it's just an unnecessary pick. Um it's, you can see the guys you know, a showy pick. It yeah. just is so perfect for the Jets. You can see and, the guys in the upper This is level one that Luke will be doing head. cartwheels over. Like Luke will love this. He'll hate playing against Fournette when Fournette plays when he doesn't have ankle injuries galore. <laughs> but like Luke will thoroughly enjoy this, and that's always the sign when the Ravens and Steelers make picks and I hate it. That's a sign that that team drafted well. <laughs> so um so Jerry, the question is if Leonard Fournette goes to New York, what's going to happen to our boy Bilal? Powell, that is, not your son. Uh, night, night. Bye-bye. <laughs> Just no, Bilal's after fine. <laughs> Bilal, Bilal stays. The guy that's gone is Forte. Yes. And then he, yeah. he then, you, then he starts to go to uh, maybe a Vikings if they cut Peterson. Like You, you see him move to a spot. A team that could reap the benefits could be a Kansas City, a Green Bay, that they get one or two years out of a Forte who's still got some juice. Or maybe maybe a guy he could go like to the the Super Bowl oh, champion New England Patriots for the quest for the sixth ring maybe. <laughs> oh God, that's what, three. <laughs> no, All right, he's moving on, like, on. Four or five. Moving on to the seventh pick, uh, Jerry. You mentioned Jamal Adams, safety out of LSU, and that's who Sean has here. And Sean, I definitely think that safety is a huge need. Obviously, they lost Eric Weddle to free agency. But I wouldn't be shocked if they took a wide receiver here, especially considering Keenan Allen can't stay healthy. Uh, Philip Rivers is going to be 36 next year and is running out of time. He needs weapons. Do you Are you sold on Jamal Adams being the pick here, or do you think that maybe they, they reach a little bit on a wide receiver? A wide receiver would make zero sense to me. You got Keenan Allen returning. You got Tyrell Williams, who popped. You got Travis Benjamin. To, to draft a receiver there, you have to have him so ranked so high from a best available that it has to be like a Julius or um, a Julio Jones type situation, AJ Green, where head and shoulders above your board and and certain needs. I think the Eric Weddle point is exactly where I'm going with it. I think they had a void there. I think you you add Adams here, then you've got Brinkley, you've got their um, defensive line in Bosa, like you've built all of your tiers there up the middle, following that Seattle model a little bit. Now that franchise and organization front office is in shambles. So they could make a completely asinine pick here. But to me, it's whoever they have ranked Adams or Malik Hooker, slot him in there and you roll with it. I think it's Jamal Adams. I like him a little bit more of Hooker, more than Hooker. Um, which there's countless jokes that I'm sure can be made with, with that. <laughs> well, here, here's my issue, though, with them, with you saying that wide receiver is not a major need for them. You mentioned Keenan Allen's coming back. He's missed 23 games in the past two years. I don't think you can rely on Keenan Allen. You need a, a superstar to play outside of him. I think Tyrell Williams and Travis Benjamin were more just a product of the system, and the fact that they had a team that was always – 
always coming from behind and chucking the ball. Um, they benefited from that. I'm not saying that Tyrell Williams isn't going to do anything next year. He could be a solid player, but I don't, I don't think that that San Diego feels super confident in going into the season with with Keenan Allen coming back from a torn ACL and Tyrell Williams, who who might just be a flash in the pan. You got all that offense. Are you worried about San Diego scoring points next year if they're healthy? If they're healthy, though, that's the problem. Their whole team got hurt this year. I mean, they they lost the three of their top four running backs. They lost Stevie Johnson before the season even started. They lost Keenan Allen in Week One. Um, I just if they, just, if they draft the wide was hurt receiver, last year, if they draft the wide receiver and you look at that roster, does that make sense? Yes, because their whole team is was on the IR last year. They they need somebody that can at least be on the field. And if, if they don't meet two years ago, the, all of New England's team was on the IR. And, you know, they didn't double up and take another tight end. No, because they're a Super Bowl pedigree, tre- pedigree team. That's why. That's four. That's like six. <clears throat> all right. I think it's a little I, bit. I, I, of, I think it's a I little bit of a. Well, I think of the Chargers offense, it's a little bit of a name recognition thing. You're so used to thinking of. of Guys like Vincent Jackson and stuff like that. There's no name recognition at wide receiver for them anymore, besides Keenan Allen. What the hell are you? They need Jackson was on that team four years. That's ago. what I'm saying. What like bloody that, hell are you talking that, about? I'm t- you didn't listen to a word I just said. I said they have no name recognition because they had so many guys go down to injury. They like who the hell are all these wide receivers that were playing for us this year? I mean, you're going to be relying on guys like Hunter Henry to make a splash. You might want to think about adding another explosive weapon on the outside. It's just saying it's not the worst idea ever, but I see the point. There is a need at defense, especially in the back end. Thank you, Jerry. You're welcome. We'll move on to the eighth pick, and right now you have Cam Robinson tackle out of Alabama, but we think that he's probably going to fall out of the top ten. So if Cam Robinson's out of there, who do you see them going with, Sean? Well, first, with Cam Robinson, I've read quite a bit here over the last week or so. A lot of scouts, breakdowns, film, Mayock, Matt Miller, um, Casserly. These guys have him bumping into guard. He goes to guard. He's in the 20s. He's falling back. I had This was probably the trickiest of the top 10 um, just because I'm, I just it, it haven't gotten a good feel from him. He was probably better his sophomore year. Than, than he was uh, this past year. So I think he falls off. To me, if I'm the Panthers, I got to protect Cam Newton. I think Dalvin Cook makes a ton of sense. If Fournette's still here, he makes a ton of sense. Obviously, a defensive end makes a load of sense. I'd probably say this is where you see Derek Barnett. But, man, if they have a tackle that's all rated high, you've got to give some strong consideration to that. Now, we're, we're probably going to talk about a guy that might be available uh, in the free agent market that makes a load of sense as well. But they've got to find a way to keep Cam Newton healthy so that he can be more effective. Because this year, very clearly, he was beat up from the word go. And when Cam gets a little little boo-boo, Cam gets pouty and becomes a diva. No. Right. <laughs> so you alluded to a player that could be available in free agency and and possibly in trade. Brandon Albert from the Dolphins could be available. Uh, he's 32, and there's talks that the Dolphins might release him if they can't find a trade partner. So obviously the Panthers aren't – they're a couple players away from being contenders again. I mean, it was only a couple years ago they went 15-1 and and lost in the Super Bowl. Uh, now they're picking eighth because they had a very down season, 
and you alluded to, you need to protect Cam Newton. You don't just protect Cam Newton by bringing in solid linemen to keep him upright, but you also have to bring in players that will give him a good run game. Jonathan Stewart was so-so last year when healthy, so I like the idea of them attacking the running back position and bringing in a guy like Dalvin Cook, who's a three-down back um, and, and can be a, a very, very good weapon for Cam Newton and take a lot of the, you know, obviously the running duties off of his shoulders. So take a running back early on and then maybe go after a guy like um, Brandon Albert in in free agency. Um, there's also talks of Russell Okun could be available. And then um, the uh, Ryan Clady got cut as well. So those there are a bunch of left tackles that are available somewhere in the free agency market. And I, I like to see them go that route. Jerry, where, where are you, what's your feel on, on eight, the eighth pick by the Panthers? I actually agree 100% with Sean. They need to protect Cam Newton. Uh, clearly, that was the downfall of the season. You know, he's he he needs protection. You know, he's got that that pretty face. He's got the pretty head. He's got to protect. So, Cam Robinson makes a ton of sense. Um, but it, you know, like you said, Brandon Albert would be a huge get for them if they can do that. Then they can do a lot of things to make the offense more uh, explosive. Definitely, Dalvin Cook would be one thing they could do. Um, I, the other thing, I mean, I, again, I come back. Oh, I I have Derek Barnett here. Okay, um, I was going to say I don't think Dalvin Cook is going to be available here at eight. I think he goes actually higher. I think he goes to the Jets. I think Fournette is available as a second running back, um, but I don't think they they want him as much as they want Dalvin Cook, in my opinion. So, yeah, if they take Barnett here, then that's the void that they've been missing ever since Greg Hardy decided to uh, be a, a real decisions. swell guy. Yeah. Yeah, make good decisions. So, that, I mean, they, they need a pass rush. Obviously, you have a solid pass rush. That really helps your secondary look a little bit better than maybe it is. They have a young secondary after losing Josh Norman. Uh, a, a few guys who started off the season, you know, very green and, and kind of had their feet to the fire from day one. They got a little bit better as they got into the latter parts of the season. So uh, helping them up as much as possible with a solid pass rush could be the way to go here. Uh, at nine, we kind of glanced on Malik Hooker to the Bengals. So I will move off of that. And let's talk about number 10. And we're looking at possibly One our other third. Thing. The Bengals love Ohio State players. They love because it, it gives Mike Brown a way to get into the Cincinnati or to the Columbus market. And that seems odd and, and bizarre, but you have to think locally when it comes to Mike Brown. It's they have baby. to fight and claw for every type of dollar revenue interest in the state. And whether they want to admit it or not, Columbus, I, I live there. I know it. It's Brown's. And it's a sliver of Cincinnati. So they've consistently had this idea to add a lot of Ohio State players, and that's been their their thought process behind is continue to grow within that market. It, it seems elementary, but if there's it's, ever a tiebreaker, always think Hooker, Lattimore, any Buckeye guy when it comes to the Bengals. It's absolutely true you're saying about Brown because the Bengals are the third most popular team in, in Ohio, NFL team. I mean, you could say fourth if you include the Buckeyes. It's clearly the the, the – Stepchild that is forgotten when it all said and done because the Steelers are more popular. In Ohio how, how would than they the be Bengals. forced if you, if you include the, the Buckeyes? Steelers? Well, the Steelers are more popular in Ohio the f- than the Bengals. Oh God, I'm, I'm not You're wrong. Right. Oh God, <laughs> oh I forgot. All right, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's brutal. All right, let's move on to ten. The Bills on the clock, and this obviously has a lot to do with what they do with Tyrod Taylor. 
But, Sean, you get to Sean Kaiser from Notre Dame, quarterback here. You think this is a realistic possibility that they go quarterback 10? Another team that I just utterly bizarre what they're thinking or where they could go. Um, it's probably really difficult to say. They could go a myriad of directions here. You could see O.J. Howard go. You could see an offense, well, probably not an offensive line, but you could. I think they like Cardell Jones. The last the last few days oh. I've read some things as it relates to that. I don't see that whatsoever. Um this is a, this is going to be a peculiar spot. This we know they don't need corner. They need you know, centers. There's no need there or offensive linemen. This could be a spot for a wide receiver um, to pair up with with Watkins, or if they're still concerned with Watkins. If Hooker's there or Adams, I think it's a no brainer. They take the safety, but I don't really know what Buffalo's primary need is if it's not safety i was thinking the same thing with there's a load of talent that's still available on defense you could go if Lattimore's there you could take marlon humphrey from uh, alabama corner you could take reuben foster at linebacker i don't know how well how much they need for linebacker spot in buffalo but there's a ton of defensive talent still on the board at this spot for them to take a quarterback i think this could be where big reach yeah, I, this could also be. I mean, we're doing a lot of hypotheticals here, but if any of those three defensive end, defensive tackles—Thomas, Allen, Barnett—is available, they could get snatched up here. Really, if quarterbacks, if more than one quarterback goes in the top nine, then Buffalo is going to end up with one of those guys more than likely. Mm. So that. that might be kind of where Buffalo is a little bit—is just kind of waiting in the weeds and reacting to what what's sitting out there and available. The smart That'll move be interesting just to go see. with the best guy off the board here. So to kind of transition here, you know, out of the top 10, Sean, who do you think is the team that's most likely to trade out of their pick? You no, know, is, is it Buffalo a team because they have so many, they, they don't have one clear cut need and maybe they just see value in, you know, moving back to the mid teens. Um, are the Panthers a team that could fall out of this pick and maybe draft Cam Robinson again in the mid teens? Do you see any of these teams that could possibly go back in the draft? Man, that's, that's really tough because I think there's got to be teams below them that are, that they're not going to slip too far with. Um, the Titans could be a team that could be in play a little bit. Uh, they got a, a front office that's a little bit more stable here over the past year. They still have another pick um, in, in the late teens. So if they were to go back to you know 13, 14, 15, you look at like a Cardinals team could could try and make a move for for a bigger name guy that they feel is like the difference maker to get them for one final push. Um, I could see that type of a scenario. It's just, it's got to be the right team. I think the Chargers could trade back. They're probably not savvy enough. If the Panthers get a tackle, that would actually be a tailor-made spot for them maybe to shift backwards. But a lot of these teams, they don't do what Belichick would do. And, you know, that's why I said if 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 the Browns are 3-4-5, I'd be really worried, and I'd almost be hoping for a trade down versus a QB re- reach up. Right. But because of where they are, I'm I'm less concerned about that. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. There's always some move that's made. Uh, you know, I like the, the the mention of the Titans being an aggressive team. They have not been nervous to to move back in, in on draft day or before draft day. So they'll definitely be open to making moves, I'm sure. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how the top 10 plays out. And we'll continue, as I mentioned, to post all of our mock drafts as Sean updates them. Uh, we should be seeing one later on this week. So keep an eye out for that uh, on at Glory Podcast on Twitter. And then again, we will be releasing it on Facebook as well. Switching a little bit to the fantasy football side, all of you in your rookie drafts coming up after the NFL draft. Let's take a look at some of the top five options at, uh, and their potential landing spots and, and what landing spots will be better or will be more detrimental to their fantasy value. I think if you look at it, no matter what happens, Dalvin Cook and Leonard Fournette are somehow the one-two. Uh, you can pretty much just earmark those two guys in the first two spots and then anybody after that, depending on landing spot, it'll be really interesting to see how it works out. But Sean, Dalvin Cook and Leonard Fournette, I think that the best options for them fantasy-wise are Philadelphia, Carolina, and um, Indianapolis. Those three teams either don't have a running back or have a very an older running back who's about to be put out to pasture. Frank Gore is going to be 34. He had a solid year last year, but did kind of tail off at the end of the season. Jonathan Stewart's uh, role in, in Carolina is up in the air due to his lofty contract and his inability to be on the field for 16 games. And then in Philadelphia, I don't think that Ryan Matthews will be back and Darren Sproles cannot be relied upon for 20 plus touches a game. So I really like all three of those options. Sean, Jerry, if you were, if you're getting ready for your rookie drafts, where do you want to see these two running backs go? Sean, you can start first. I agree with you on those three teams. I'd, in ranking those, I'd go Colts, Carolina, Philly, mm-hmm. just because I, I'm a little leery of Doug Peterson. Uh, but uh, I, I love Luck, his age. It's the perfect spot, less kind of wear and tear as a result of a little bit more up and down, and you're going to get a lot of seven-man fronts, um, maybe even some nickels to run against. Uh, so so that makes a lot of sense to me from from that. So whatever one would fall there, I think it'd actually be terrific for them. I like Cook over Fournette, but there's certain spots landing-wise that probably Fournette would work better in. I actually think the Jets may be one of those. Um, Baltimore may be one of those. Uh, it, it just it kind of depends on, depends on uh, scheme a little bit. So I like I like those those two guys above all. I love Mike Williams. I need to probably look into Corey Davis a little bit more from everything I'm reading. He's going to run. Well, he might not compete in the combine, but he's going to run at his pro day. Fantastic. Uh, the, I, I see those four and then OJ Howard to me that that's, that's the top five. OJ tight end, huh? Yeah. That, that's that taking a tight end that early is a little bit nerve wracking, but what if, go back to what the- if he's Jimmy Graham? Well, if he's Jimmy Graham, it's a different story. But we, uh, what have we seen from from him in college to show that he's Jimmy Graham? Obviously, he's come out and said Alabama didn't use him that much. Uh, there's well, a reason. The, for that, watch the tape. Like, I mean, he is he, in the championship game two years ago. He was he was maybe the best player on the field. Right. And then this year, when he gets the ball, but he's such a damn good blocker. Like he's got he he's he's narrower. He's not as wide as Gronk, but. He's got some comps there. Six six, long wide, uses his body, you know, five star from the get-go. 
Like he's a premier tight end. Premier. Based on current draft position, OJ Howard's probably going about seven or eight. So, you know, if he has a great pro day and goes to a team like Tennessee that really needs a tight end or or long term will need a tight end because Delaney Walker, I think, is 33. I, I think that would be a great landing spot for him. And, and you could see him creep into the top five. But I do get very nervous about taking tight ends early. Uh, it usually takes them a year or two to develop. Then again, most rookies do take a year or two to develop. But I want to go back to the running backs real quick. And um, Jerry, we talked about Philadelphia and Indianapolis as potentially being two options for Leonard Fournette or Dalvin Cook. Colts are picking 14th and Philly's got the 15th pick. Any shot that both running backs or either running back falls to 14 or 15? If Fournette does not go to New York, um, I think there's a chance he could slip down that far. I don't think he's going to slip past uh, Indianapolis. I think they would love to have a guy like Leonard Fournette to give the ball to. Pair that with a play-action game and Andrew Luck. Uh, that's a perfect landing spot for him. I think Dalvin Cook's just too um, rare a talent. You know, He's three down back, catches it, and is super explosive. I don't think he can slip that far. So maybe going back to a team trading out of the, uh, the top ten picks, then maybe – the Colts are interested in trading into the top ten because yeah, no longer sure. do, no longer do they have the moron Ryan Grigson running that team, so they could potentially make moves that make sense for their fans for their football what, team. What if the Colts took OJ Howard? <laughs> I, mean, I, I honestly I think OJ Howard is Greg Olson. I think he's. The, I, have, I, I will say I think he's the best tight end in this draft by far. I he's think the, best the tight kid end in the draft last year too. It, yeah, and I think this kid from um, Miami. Um, what's his name? Najuka. He's getting too much hype. I think he's way getting, too much hype. He's I like an athletic guy, but he's not as good as OJ Howard. He's not as good as Jake Butt. I, I agree a, with that as well. What a name! What a name! He might change. I'm interested. We'll, get, in, we'll get into some of these positions, but uh, yeah. I, that that he's more he's more Devin Funches to me. That's the concern I'd have with with David Najuka and the scouts and everything are like loving on him. And I watched Miami play a lot. That guy never popped. Yeah. So I agree. Sean, here's my issue with OJ Howard going in the first round. The last tight end to go in the first round was in 2014. Eric Ebron went tenth overall. Before that, Tyler Eifert uh, in 2013 went 21st overall. Um, let's see here. Scrolling down the list, we have to go all the way back to 2010 when Jermaine Gresham went 21st overall. Uh, Rob Gronkowski, two-time Super Bowl champion, went uh, right after him. And Aaron Hernandez, three-time murderer, went in the fourth round. But that's besides the point. Uh, the year before that, Brandon Pettigrew in 2009, 20th overall. So it's not – how many times have we seen a great tight end? Did going Rudolph go in the first round? Rudolph with a second-round pick, he went uh, – let's see here. He went uh, 43rd overall, so 11th pick in the second round. So it's just – I think that they're a gamble. I, I don't think that – I think teams would rather wait until the late first, early second. Never have we seen a tight end go early and be an absolute stud. They thought Eric Ebron was going to break that mold, but that hasn't panned out yet. He's been solid, not spectacular. So – O.J. Howard might be a little bit of a pipe dream, you know, and maybe he's an option in the the early second if he's there. He probably won't be there. I could see a team like um, maybe Tampa jumping on him. Uh, Green Bay could jump on him if they don't re-sign uh, Jared Cook. At, they got the 29th overall pick. So uh, it'll be interesting. O.J. Howard, Howard is, is – I would be shocked if he got all the way to 23. I, here's, a th- here's the thing with O.J. Howard, though. I think what we're going to see fantasy-wise in rookie drafts, 
based on his landing spot, uh, or maybe not even based on his landing spot, maybe based on his combine performance, he could be one of those guys that flies up draft boards because he is an athletic freak and his game tape looks pretty good. But it'll be really interesting to see where he lands. I just have a hard time thinking he's going to be number five once you know rookie drafts roll, roll around in August. But we'll see where well, he lands. And you are speaking from a fantasy perspective. What I would say is from a strictly football perspective, and Jerry, you can attest to this, is you're starting to see a shift back a little bit in how these offenses are set up up you can go with the tight end the two tight ends it forces teams to kind of stay in more base but then you have mismatches within those that's why you're seeing a day on buchanan that's why jabot peppers actually has a unique role in the nfl carved out now is because you have to have some of these hybrid players these cam chancellors that allow you to stay on the field and remain big defensively but also flexible enough that you can guard some of these matchup guys and uh, I'll say this. If there's a guy that I think New England would trade up for, I actually would think it would be O.J. Howard. I they, they I can't imagine a scenario where they would, but if they trade Garoppolo and somehow get into a, a, a spot, that could be their move to go up and get a home run guy like O.J. Howard because he fits them to a T for what they run, big target. It's just It would be perfect for them for, for Gronk insurance. Yeah, and, and Martellus Bennett's a free agent, and he already turned down a one-year, seven million dollar contract. So, yeah, maybe maybe if if the Patriots are able to move up a little bit, they're at thirty-two right now because of the Super Bowl champions. Um, but if they're able to move up into the teens, then potentially OJ Howard could be an absolute target for them. I think we have an um, opportunity here for a new T-shirt: um, Gronk Insurance. <laughs> hashtag Gronk Insurance. <laughs> You saw the Marshall. Uh, yeah. Um, so moving on to the third and fourth pick again, I, I'm looking at this as tiers right now. I really think running back, running backs can be the first two picks. And then from here, wide receiver, wide receiver. So right now we've talked about Mike Williams and where he could land in Tennessee, maybe San Diego. We've also talked about Corey Davis. I think based on what we've seen so far and all the hype they're getting right now, that this is three and four respectively in your rookie drafts. Sean, is Corey Davis, and again, you're going to dig into him a little bit more once the combine rolls around or once he runs at his pro day, but maybe is Corey Davis an option at 19 for Tampa Bay? Oh, 100%. I think that's a big-time option. Size, everything fits for for Winston target. I think for Tampa Bay, they're just kind of probably crossing their fingers that he would last to them. Yeah. Um, I think they look at Williams, Davis, O.J. Howard. Those three are going to be up pretty high on their board. Will one of them be left over by the time it comes to 19? Jerry, so do you think, I mean, it, it makes sense for the Bucks to get a second wide receiver. We mentioned Vincent Jackson earlier on the show. He's going to be, I think, 35. He finished the season on the IR this year. So clearly wide receiver is a need for the Bucks. Do you see them taking a guy at 19 like uh, like Corey Davis, or do you see another wide receiver that, that could intrigue you a little bit? They'd be frothing at the mouth if they could get Corey Davis at 19, for sure. He's somebody they, they have to add to the roster. They definitely need to get more explosive. You know, they're, they're, There's a, a small list of guys that are going to be there at 19 um, if, if Corey Davis and Mike Williams are both gone, which is a, a chance they would be. Um, you know, there's talk of, of guys like Juju Smith-Schuster and John Ross. You know, there's a couple Pac-10 guys that could be available that are, that would make them more explosive. They get a vertical game, pair that with Mike Ev- Mike Evans down there, and um, um, 
Brait. What's his first name? Cameron Brait. Cameron Brait. Thank you, Cameron Brait. Sean giving him no respect. No respect. Howard. Yeah. Did, uh, did you not hear my point? Two tight ends gives you a lot. Yes, it does. Of flexibility. No, you're exactly right. You're exactly right, and that's something that, that can't be overlooked. Especially there is some talent after OJ Howard. It's a little bit more raw and unpolished. I think he's by far the the number one guy. Um, but there are some guys you could throw in a tight end too after a camera break, and you're, you're explosive because they're going to give you some versatility. Um, at 19, eh, I don't know about that, but there's still definitely going to be some guys. Jake Budd at 19 is a little bit too high, if you ask me. Well, he has a torn ACL, so he might not he might not be ready for OTAs. Exactly, and he might miss early season free or uh, preseason. Um, so okay, so we I think we both th- all three of us think that Corey Davis is a solid option here at four. Now at five. It'll get a little interesting, and this really depends on landing spot and if a player really, um, you know, plays well in the preseason. But I think that John Ross and Juju Smith-Schuster could potentially be one of those guys who goes early on in the second round. The 49ers have a need, the Bears have a need, and the Rams have a need, and all three teams have a top five pick in the second round. I think one of those guys, if they last, you know, if they if if they don't get taken in the first round. That means that it'll be two first-round wide receivers. So you have Mike Williams, Corey Davis. I think that makes sense considering this draft class. I think that Smith-Schuster and John Ross could be two solid options at the beginning of the second round. Sean, I know you're not super high. There's you are high. Like one of these you guys. are you high. Know. Juju Smith-Schuster, you are high. John Ross, for the right team, makes a lot of sense. But think Tavon Austin. If, if if you've got John Ross, you better have a couple, at least one big wide receiver to pair up with him. Or you better have kind of a, a little quirky. John Ross to the Saints maybe in the second round to replace a Brandon Cooks makes a little bit of sense. Uh, but that's kind of a, a, there's a unique fit for John Ross. Juju Smith-Schuster a, I got to see him run because I think he's going to run a four six, maybe a, a four five. Uh, the other thing is, is there's going to be a lot of Nelson Aglahor, like a lot of comps there. I think Smith Schuster's better, but that's going to be tough to shake. He's also, I don't think, going to measure as big as as what he's listed at. And I think there's two guys, Cooper Cup and Zay Jones, Eastern Washington and East Carolina, respectively. Both of them competed in the Senior Bowl and popped, and a couple of those teams and a lot of the scouts were raving about those two guys. Smith-Schuster, nary a peep. So to me, he he's not in the top five wide receivers. I could probably come out with Isaiah Ford and a few others. I think Smith-Schuster's probably eighth, ninth best receiver in this draft. Now, he might fall to the right team, but I don't see how that's in the top 60 picks. It just feels like every year a USC receiver gets overdrafted. In 2015, Aguilar, you mentioned first-round pick, 20th overall. Marquise Lee, second-round pick in 2014. And then Robert Woods, second-round pick in 2013. It just it just seems like they because they're in Southern Cal and they their games are always on national TV – they're 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 always the blue chip prospects. They always get drafted high. They just I wouldn't be shocked if he gets overdrafted. And maybe hopefully yeah, by now the other way. I think he could be underdrafted as a result of that. Get into the right situation and actually be successful. I'm, I'm kind of pivoting off of yours just because of the kind of consensus thought flipping around there and people not wanting to be the fifth wide receiver from USC that they've farted on. Instead, to go the other way and find other guys to take as a result. 
So you think G- US or GMs have finally smartened up on the USC wide receivers? Okay, that's fair. That's fair. If if we look at the the tradition of overdrafting quarterbacks, I'm not ready to say that GMs have smartened up on that. That they're gonna go with what they think works for them. But uh, it'll be interesting. Quarterbacks Again, we, give you excuse because if they don't yep, hit, yep. you can point to the attrition rate, and you can buy yourself another year and maybe another quarterback. But you got to think job security when it comes in. I know we talked this at length last year. Sometimes the smartest or the or the best picks aren't made because you're trying to save a job so you can make the following year's picks. Right, right, right. That's probably why, you know, our boy Jeff Fisher had about an extra eight weeks because he uh, he used the excuse, well, I got I to mold my rookie quarterback. And that's why the uh, Stan Kroenke kept him around. But uh, great conversation tonight, fellas. Uh, you know, we're getting ready for the draft. I think we're about 70 days away. So uh, the uh, NFL offseason is almost as fun as the regular season for me. Uh, just love watching teams go back and forth. But or I'm sorry, players go back and forth and just all the different rumors out there. Refreshing Twitter is a, is a constant hobby of mine uh, in the months from February till about May. So uh, like we mentioned, we'll be talking about the rest of the draft moving forward. Sean's going to release or we'll release on our Twitter handle at Glory Podcast and our Facebook profile page, Never Ending Glory Podcast. We will release the mocks as they come out. Uh, so keep an eye on that. And if you agree with the pick, let us know. If you disagree with the pick, again, let us know. Uh, next week, we are going to talk about the quarterback situation in the NFL this offseason because, as we alluded to tonight, there are three quarterbacks that could go in the first round of the, of the 2017 NFL draft. But there's also a ton of other intriguing options out there like Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Kirk Cousins, Mike Glennon, uh, Brian Hoyer. Guys who have some sort of track record and could be potentially starters on different teams in the 2017 season. So make sure you keep it locked onto the Never Ending Glory podcast next week as we go over uh, those players as well. And How continue. about a quick teaser? If as of today, February 16th, each of us rapid fire, which team is Jimmy Garoppolo suiting up for? Jerry Patriots. Ooh, I think it's all. I think it's Chicago, all talk. Chicago Bears. I'm going San Francisco 49ers. And if and and we'll talk about this. But if he does, he will not be traded for a first round pick. There's absolutely no. As much as I want to believe the Patriots can get the second or third pick after winning the Super Bowl, that's the fifth time I sent it. I said it. I, I don't think that there's any way you're going to get a top five pick for a quarterback that you're going to have to pay Brock Osweiler. I think there's a potential for a conditional. That, or some a conditional pick in next year's draft that could trigger into the first, though. That'll be interesting. That'll I think there, interesting. there could be a way they could get a little creative. I think the sleeper and the team that should be adding Jimmy Garoppolo is Arizona. But obviously, mm. with Carson Palmer news within the past week, that's out of play. But that, to me, felt like the sweetest spot of all, unless Washington wanted to to maybe get a little creative as well. Both of those two teams should be all over it. They're not going to be because, again, you don't you don't get uh, fired for for making you know those those big time moves. You get you know fired for just consistent mediocrity. And, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we like to call a big market tease. Here, we'll talk quarterbacks next week, uh, gentlemen. I'm going to go ahead and watch the sound effects from Super Bowl Fifty One right now because that is just Patriots porn. So, you gentlemen, have a wonderful night tonight. Thank you very much for listening. Check us out on Twitter at Glory Podcast, on Facebook, Never Ending Glory Podcast. 
Send us emails, negpodcast at gmail.com, SoundCloud, iTunes, subscribe, listen, tell all your friends. And uh, hey, why the hell not? Drink some Buckeye vodka as you get ready. Hopefully, you guys don't get crushed with snow again this weekend. It looks like uh, everything of the, the 16 inches we got the past few weeks should be melted this week. So I'm looking forward to spring coming, boys. So, gentlemen, have a great night, and we will talk soon. All right, talk to you later. Bye.